Hey everyone, this is Derek Bros of the Conscious Resistance Network, and I am here in the UK walking the streets, and I ran into this guy, Mr. Hey. James Corbett. Wow, I imagine that in the flesh. <laughs> in the flesh, in the UK. We're at the Better Way Conference. Uh, we're both doing panels, we're doing talks. There's a lot of interesting conversations, transhumanism, AI, climate change, all kinds of stuff that both of our work has covered. And I'm excited for this conversation, even though we're not sure where it's going to go, because it's been three and a half years since the first time we met in person. Right. And since our last interview, I'll put the link below, which we spoke in February 2020. And mm. so much has happened since then. And I remember even in that conversation, we were sort of like, hey, you heard about this coronavirus thing happening in China? What, you know, what it, we were sort of guessing at what might be coming. I think in some cases we sort of anticipated what was coming. Um, what has changed for you in your personal life, James? Let's step out of the work. You know, everybody knows what you've been up to, but yeah. like, how has COVID-1984 and everything we've witnessed changed, if it has, changed your life, your family's mm -hmm. life, anything like that? Of course. I mean, uh, as people know, there were, there were no lockdowns in Japan. There were no mandates, per se, but it was the horizontal pressure of everyone. Okay, now everyone puts on their mask and everyone takes the jab and what have you. Luckily, given the fact that I'm an independent person, don't, I'm not part of a company, I could avoid that horizontal pressure myself, but everyone around me, you know, I, and I, a lot of the people I know who are teachers in the public school system, well, we got to get the job. So a lot of people did. Um, so of course, uh, horrific from that sense. Um, my own little family bubble mm -hmm. isn't affected in that sense, but everything around changes yeah. and there's no way you can avoid that. One of the things that I think I was most surprised by, not in Japan, I kind of would expect Japanese people would conform so easily, yeah. but around the world, the mass conformity at a flick of a switch was crazy. Yeah, And that's in the US, I mean, we're here in the UK, there were some major protests at different points in London and elsewhere, but still the minority of the, the rest of the people. And in the US, I mean, it was hard to muster up. I think the only big protests happened in LA and New York a year and a half into it. So definitely seemed like most people went along with it. Um, one other question on that, like from the personal perspective, I'm curious, does your family, your wife, your, like, are, are she, obviously she's aware of what you do for a living, mm -hmm. but uh, was she like, you were right again? <laughs> I mean, is she like <laughs> aware of the yeah. prescience of your work? Uh, not really. She really doesn't follow what I do, which yeah. is always surprising to people. For me, it's wonderful to be able to literally, like really detach. When yeah. I turn the computer yeah. off, it's off and I don't have to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, like everyone else, it's the constant indoctrination and propaganda and what have you. And uh, like everyone else with members of my family or friends, uh, I have to negotiate each relationship in terms of, well, okay, this is what I believe. This is where I stand. I'm non-negotiable on this. Where are you? And that's, a, I mean, it's, it's the trauma that has been caused by this incident. Yeah amongst each other, right? It, disrupting relationships. Now, thankfully, my family, my immediate family, my ex even my larger family, I haven't had that kind of conflict where, you know, I'm not speaking to you, I won't visit you, none of that garbage. But I know a lot of people have. Yeah. And the amount of trauma that's been inflicted, not even talking about the health side of what's happened. And the, the health side is the other part of what affected me personally. Uh, Pre-2020, I was, I was going to the gym, I was eating healthy, I was on track. Uh, I was getting ready to do my next documentary, then everything goes to hell. And uh, the gym, you're not getting in here without a mask. Yeah. Well, okay, I guess I'm not working out here yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, let myself go to a certain extent. I'm not, I, I just, I wasn't eating well, I was sure. working too much. So that has been the personal side of this for yeah. me. And as I say, everyone has experienced trauma. The real question is, how do we heal ourselves mm. while the world is falling apart? And that's 
That's the bigger question. That's a big question, and it's, uh, I guess more on the personal level. Each individual is going to have to decide how to handle that. And, I, and, and it, that is an interesting aspect of it. Like you said, the personal impact. Similar thing. Jim can't come here without masks. You know, it's, luckily when I was in Texas or Mexico, things were not nearly as restrictive as the vast majority of the world. But still, there there are changes. Like not just lifestyle adjustments, dealing with all the tyranny outside, but the way it impacts our relationships. I mean, we've met so many people who especially Canadians who've lost family members and friends for their choices. So it seems like both of us were kind of lucky in that way that not having too many relationships strained. Um, you know, the other thing is, when we were last speaking, I had just released my book about technocracy and more importantly about solutions. And this is something, in addition to the conversation we just heard, technocracy, transhumanism, AI, which is now everyday thing. Yep. You've been talking about this since you said 2007 earlier. I know you were reporting on it early in the Corvette Report. How does it feel now to kind of be at a place where we're at a place with folks who, until uh, a couple of years ago, were probably what we might call normies. Right. And just average, yeah. I don't mean that in any derogatory yeah. way, just yeah. regular people going about their lives. And now we're in a room where people are like, this is a satanic agenda and the trans, you know, things have changed. Like, yeah. how does that feel? From your perspective? Uh, obviously, it feels good to see that more people are getting this. Um, it isn't good that it took massive trauma to get there, but perhaps it always takes some sort of form of trauma. Even in my own experience, I kind of understood that things weren't going in a good direction, but it it was really um, probably in 2006 when I was trying to enter Canada and I got stopped at customs and they were going through my bag like I was a terrorist and asking me about my, oh, you're reading this book? What do you think about this book? As if it's going to reveal my terrorist intentions or something. That experience was kind of the arrow through my brain. Okay, there's something really going on here. Uh, what What is actually happening? And I think it takes that kind of trauma to, to move people to the state where they start wondering what's happening and how they can heal from it. Yeah. So in a sense, I don't want to say it's a good thing, but at any rate, people are switching on to this. And yes, I want to reiterate what you said. When I, I do say normie a lot, and yes, it is, it certainly has that derisive connotation, but I don't want to fall into the trap of making fun of people who are crippled sure. because someone has come up with a baseball bat and beaten their legs or something. No, obviously, I don't want to blame the victims here of this international, intergenerational, parasitic, elite, elitist class preying on people. I want to empower humans to understand that they are above the, that parasitic class. They are actually more capable. So yes, language like that can be divisive. I use it myself. Uh, maybe we need to come up with better terminology. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, you mentioned language, and I was just following a conversation on Twitter that was something along the line. It was getting into the pure blood and mm. vaxxed hard and just language yep. again. Mm -hmm. And I commented on there that, for one, pure blood sure sounds like a lot of eugenics terminology to me. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, the vaxxed hard things come. They're, like, for my, me and my goal, and I believe yours as well, is to reach as many people as possible. And those are often people that maybe we are like, what is wrong with these people? But we still have compassion, or we hope to have compassion towards them. Can you speak to that, just the importance of us not becoming black-pilled or so, I guess, I think there's a, a tendency to like, we're coming to these events, we're the enlightened ones, yeah. right? And all these sheep outside, like, yeah. how do we be careful not to fall into that trap? Yeah, uh, being aware of the trap for what it is, is the probably the first step in that. And um, dehumanization is always the first step towards trying to eradicate the problem, if we can just get rid of these people, right? And so once we start dividing ourselves, we have done their, they, them, those work for them. Because that is, I think the fundamental thing they're trying to do is inculcate an anti-human 
mindset into the public so that we desire our own death, our own enslavement. We're, we're a cancer, we need to be eliminated, blah, blah, blah. Um, once we take that on board in any sense and start dividing ourselves, they win. So in, our win is in compassion, it is in coming together, it is in love. Absolutely. Let's get into some fun topics, some controversial yeah. ones. Uh, the transgender topic is something mm. you've covered um, to different extents, and you did questions for Corbett, I think somebody asked about it, but you've done other work linking the transgender to the transhumanism movement, which I think more and more people are becoming aware of. And I don't, I, I don't think it's the same as in Japan as it is in North America. It's in the U.S. mainly. It hasn't creeped into Mexico. But this conversation, like many topics I see, is just so divisive, mm. and, and obviously it's a very charged topic. Yeah. But in my, from my perspective, I'm seeing the extremes on both ends, mm. kind of uh, being the loudest voice, of yeah. course, and sanity's lost in there. Yeah. The extreme of accept everybody no matter what they say, use the state to mm. enforce it, you know, pronouns, all this kind of thing. Yeah. And if you question that in any way, you're bigoted, you yeah. know, transphobe, etc. To the other extent of let's ban the books, let's you know get the state to control what can be taught to in colleges and sure. um, and maybe even some folks who have yeah. anti. LGBT feelings who are maybe mm. just generally against that mm. and then I feel like lost in the middle of that are of course the children and the yeah. people who are being targeted yeah. and I'm working on a mini documentary about this I've sat with a transgender person to kind of pose these questions mm. and a parent mm. and really trying to tackle it from a nuanced perspective because it is such a complicated thing um, what, what do you think like how can we try to for one kind of navigate that minefield sure. but also help people through that see that larger agenda the push towards transhumanism right so for me, uh, the, the fundamental voluntarist principle always comes down to who has the right to do what in terms of applying force in order to make someone do something. So every time we involve the government in the conversation, we're doing something that is going to undermine voluntarist ideals. So um, whether that government force is to start forcing people to gender people a certain way or whatever, or the government forces to ban books or whatever it is, both ways I think are the wrong way of doing this. Um, this has to come down to, again, in navigating individual personal relationships. And I, personally, I, if somebody, uh, if I don't have any transgender friends, I just I don't know anyone, but if I did, and we had negotiated some relationship where you must gender me this way, um, well, I, maybe as a respect for a human being that I care about, I would do so. But the idea that some government is going to force me to do that or uh, fine me or something if I don't do that, that's obviously where the rubber meets the roads on an ethical side of things. The other aspect of this that you asked about was uh, in terms of... Like, the, the, I guess, the culture war aspect of yeah. it, how people are getting lost right. in the, yeah, yeah. the nuanced topic of it. Yeah, uh, that's always the problem, isn't it? Nuance is the first casualty of any information war. And again, I think it's one of the things they're trying to divide us on. But uh, the other aspect of it, yes, how do we start getting people to see sort of the bigger aspect yeah. of this agenda? And that's that, to me, is really the, the root of what is going on right now. It is a philosophical ideological thing that is being pushed. This isn't some grassroots movement that just erupted naturally. It wasn't some civil rights 2.0. Uh, this is something that's being pushed by governments, corporations, media. So I think alarm bells should be ringing for everyone, including transgenders and others who are wondered about, wondering about how this topic is being pushed by other people for other motives. What other motives could exist? And fundamentally, I think this comes down to breaking down philosophical, ideological identification distinctions that have existed in humanity for eons, millennia, 
as, as part of the push towards breaking down the fundamental distinction, which is called vitalism, the difference between organic life and inorganic life. That is where we are heading. Once we can start adapting our identification to anything we feel like, then it will be uh, pushed on us that man, machine, whatever, you're a man machine, it's the same thing. That is where this is heading. How do you get people to see that? If you have good <laughs> ideas of how to under, bring that understanding to people, I, I'm all ears. Yeah, I think it's, it's the, uh, the reason it feels complicated to me is again, I'm sitting at, across from a transgender person interviewing them and asking them like, hey, what do you think about folks who say this? And you know, they were open-minded. I also said like, hey, I'm totally new to this. So if I say something wrong, like, please excuse me. It feels like there would be a hard like, okay, so what do you say to folks who think that you're being fooled into eventually becoming transhumanism, right? It's it's such it's so far from the reality. But to another point, like you're a parent, I'm not a parent, but I'm an uncle six times over, and I look at them sort of in that way of like, you know, I want to make sure to protect them in, in sure. whatever ways I can. Yeah. And I look at the U.S. school system and just worry like all those things about what they're being exposed to. It seems like the state. And this, as volunteers, we know this. The state wants to get in between the relationship between parents and families. Like, they want to try to control the minds. And we're seeing that even more now. So with really scary things of going to give you information, we won't tell your parents. We'll, we'll call you this thing. We'll give you access to this. Like, it's gotten to a very dangerous point, right? And so there are some people, even volunteers, I'm now seeing who are saying... Mm this is a different thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I think Samuel Conkin warned about this, that like when you stray from libertarian means stands, like you're gonna get somewhere different. You might think, oh, this is extreme though, so we need to take a mm -hmm. non-libertarian stance yeah, and say right. the state should do something. Anything to that, I mean, we kind of touched on that, but just what do you think about that? Like that the, the situation gets so extreme, yeah. our principles must be sacrificed. Right, 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 right. Yes, no, it's a good point because principles are either principles that we actually truly believe, and we believe them not just because we like that idea, but because we know them to be actually true and to reflect something real about the world. Once we start compromising on that, we are compromising on reality and on truth. If we truly, really, from the bottom of our hearts, believe that it is actual human interaction, voluntary interaction that is the basis for real society once we start compromising on that then we are moving away from from reality so we cannot start compromising on our four core fundamental principles now it is a question what are my core fundamental principles where do i actually draw lines what are my that's why the first thing i think people really need to start doing is drawing out really even physically writing it in a journal or whatever to get it out to uh, where are my lines what are my lines in the sand what do i really believe and once you write them down and articulate them and interrogate them. Maybe, maybe I don't believe that. But once you have that down, then it's a question of, well, I don't compromise on these, no matter what situation arises. Absolutely. And I can speak to that as far as, in my mind, a red line had always been if they this government starts talking about restricting travel. Mm. And when I left the mm. U.S., I had already planned to move to Mexico and get land. But when it, the whole nonsense was starting, the toilet paper was disappearing, yeah. you had the government and the U.S. starting to check license plates leaving New York to Rhode Island. I was like, okay, that's not a good sign. And then Trump starting talking about, we might potentially restrict interstate travel. We packed the vehicle and headed to Mexico yeah. the next day because I knew that for me, even if the cage is the size of Texas, yeah. it's still a cage. And you know, the other thing I think as far as principles, guess what you said, James, guys, if you don't know your principles, if you don't even know what that means, do interrogate that. I feel like part of the issue is that People like ourselves who've come from a volunteer's background know what that means and know 
what we believe in. And others who have woken up the last couple of years, they might be former Democrats, progressives, left-wingers, or they're you know conservatives, but they don't necessarily have a principle foundation. Mm -hmm. Like so, they haven't maybe like they haven't heard of volunteerism. Mm -hmm. And so I see that. That's why some of this community is reacting like, yes, more government's the answer. They'll, they'll fix it because they ha they don't really have the background understanding of that. How can we help our audience understand the importance of volunteerism? I mean, you've done content over the years, mm -hmm. but. You know, it's in the backlog, right? How do we help people recognize the importance? Well, first of all, everyone get out and vote DeSantis 2024. He's going <laughs> to... Oh, wait, no. Uh, of course not. Uh, I, you know, that is the brick wall that we're banging our heads against, isn't it? Because uh, for me, personally, it was the 2006 midterm elections in the U.S. where I, I... That was when I was starting to go down the rabbit hole and starting to discover something's not right here. And I remember um, Pelosi and the Democrats took the House and there, everyone's talking, oh, impeachment, they're going to impeach Bush, they're going to try him for war crimes, blah, blah, blah. And I remember listening to this crazy, whacked-out conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones, who said, no, they're not going to do anything. It's all the po political charade. It's wrestling for grown-ups. They're not going to do anything. And so I thought, oh, here's an empirical test. Either, as I thought, I kind of thought, oh, maybe they're going to do something. They're going to they're do something. And literally the first thing Pelosi came in, Speaker of the House, impeachment's off the table. We're not going to do that. We're going to move forward, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay. I guess I guess my political landscape, my map that I've been using all these years is wrong. What do I do now? Okay, so I reoriented myself. It took me a few years to get towards voluntarist principles and realizing that the whole the whole governmental system, the idea is fundamentally flawed. But once I got there, there's my principles. And from there, it's a question of articulating that to others. I think, again, like the trauma, everyone needs the, well, I don't, I won't say everyone needs the trauma, but trauma can help people learn to reality. Uh, uh, I think political trauma can help people learn the reality of the political savior coming from on high. And the frustrating thing is watching it happen every single cycle. Don't worry, guys. It's all taken care of. Uh, Ron Paul's going to save the universe. 2012, end of the campaign. He wraps it up with the uh, the flag behind, behind him, Republic can, I can, whatever. He had this flag up and he was promoting, he put his endorsement on uh, Romney. All of that. He denied 9-11 truth, all of that stuff. But, you know, we can forgive that, right? Because he was mostly good on most of the things. Okay, fair enough. Ron Paul did a lot of good work in terms of spreading real messages. But, up a lot of people. But as a political yeah. I, I, savior, no. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Trump and all that nonsense that we had to put up with for years of people telling us, you don't get it, James. He's going to do this. If only he we was... We were right. <laughs> yeah. If only he was in power during the scandemic. Oh, wait. Yeah. So... Uh, I think, I like to think more people get shaken out every cycle, I think so. but do, more statists are being indoctrinated every single day through the public indoctrination system. Little push and little give. Yeah, so, I mean, and to that point, so you've interviewed uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. prior to the yeah, presidential right. uh, campaign yeah. announcement. I mean, would you put that in the same category of what we just discussed? Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I like a Ron Paul. He can have a great message on certain subjects, maybe not certain others. Climate, where is he on climate yeah. these days? That, that kind of thing. Sure, but on terms of the biosecurity and the scandemic and all of that, great. I hope he gets some time to put that message out in front of the public. But, I mean, am I expecting that that's going to make a political difference? Not at all. Do I think he'll get within 100 miles of the White House? No. Even if he did, do I expect that he would be able to change anything, even if he was pure and wonderful? No. I don't. And I'm not saying vote Kennedy. I'm saying I hope he gets some part of this message out there because fundamentally this is not a political war. It is an ideological war. Yeah. And the more we can have real information, real truth 
put in front of people. I really believe people resonate with truth. You have to sell lies as hard as you can, propaganda, indoctrination. But truth is apparent, and once people see it, I like to think they get it. Yeah, and I I feel the same way that he's going to bring some conversations to the table that are that need to happen. But we already see the Democratic Party and the Republicans. They're not they're not interested in debates and forums. So the vast majority of Americans, what they're hearing is, oh, that's a crazy anti-vaxxer. Yeah, he's part of the Kennys, but don't trust him. And I, I, yeah, I, w- I would caution people to put their faith in that again. I mean. Ron Paul played a role. He woke up a lot of people who are now doing great things. But even now, looking back, I have to question and wonder, like, wow, was that causing more people to put more faith in the system every time, right? And especially now, RFK is running the Democratic Party. So there might be people who, who now think, okay, maybe I will be Democrat one more cycle, you know, one more round, and it continues. Well, on another topic that uh, I know that the, the rabid online audience wants to hear your perspective on the virus question, which I've asked as many people as I can about this, not necessarily because I feel like I have a stake in the matter so much as I, I don't really know what to make of the topic in terms of putting the evidence and that discussion aside. I want to speak for a moment about like the community around that Mm. and I mean, I know you see it in your comments and on videos and online, like this sort of there's lists of people like you and I, oh, they won't touch the virus question. Like it's become this kind of like, you're either with us or against us. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the actual topic and what you think about it, what do you you say to that kind of approach, activists online or in person Mm -hmm. who are taking that like, oh, because James does good work, but he doesn't say this one thing I say, he must be controlled, et cetera. Yeah, well, let me ask you in your years of doing this, have you ever seen one of those litmus tests that are actually useful and productive. Because I have talked to people who don't believe 9-11 was an inside job. I have talked to people who believe climate change is the universal like, threat that we're all facing. I have talked to, I've talked to lots of people that I disagree with on certain sure. things, I agree with on other things. Have you ever seen this kind of thing where it's like, if you believe this, you are excommunicated for all time, you're a shill, I will never listen to anything you do. That that's actually useful and productive. No, I've seen it be very destructive. Yeah, and it, almost as if that's a plan, right? Uh, uh, I've talked about uh, Sunstein and cognitive infiltration many, many times, and the the point that I keep going back to is Sunstein wins when we start accusing everyone else. You're a shill. You won't say what I I believe. You won't you won't say this. You won't do this. Once we start dividing ourselves like that, Sunstein and his type win. Yeah, and I think that's. For those who don't know the references, Cass Sunstein, James has done some great work on that, specifically talking years ago about infiltrating conspiracy theorist groups to cause division. And uh, I don't have the paper or the document that says that that's what the no virus crowd is a part of. They might be unwittingly participating, but I do think there are some genuine questions they ask. But overall, my problem, and I think this is, has been not very well received, is to say you are acting like, I, I use the word rabid because that's the approach that I get. I get emails, angry emails and things, because if you don't say that right thing, you're right. not doing good work. And can I just underline yeah. that? Because I think the Sunstein uh, idea is not to have everyone's on the payroll and everyone who's saying this is, is somehow controlled or something. No, most of the people are, are I'm sure, organically uh, oh yeah, he is a shell. Oh, I don't believe that. I are doing it organically, but I think there is a, a deeper operation to split people apart who should not be split apart at the biggest crisis point in human history. I do not say that lightly. We are here in the crisis point of the sh- the explosion of the past few years. And suddenly the people who are in this crater with us are going, yeah, you get out of my crater. You're, you're a horrible person. It's, it's ridiculous. So I'll take their side for a moment. I think they would probably offer, because this is what I've heard, well, because the no virus question is the 
you know, un like solving that will make the whole house of cards crumble. I don't agree with that. I mean, I'll say before you you propose is now we've seen climate change as another part of the narrative, and these folks I think are really exclusively focused on it. if we just get yeah. the world to see there's no virus or that yeah. it hasn't been isolated, which are legitimate questions, then the whole house of cards will yeah. crumble. And I think they're missing that these people will use alien invasions, terrorism, mm. communism, uh, climate change, anything. So it's not just if they don't need yeah. the pandemic card, if they you know they can jump something I'll, else. I'll go deeper than that because oh god, I wish there was someone asking me this question who was in that camp so that I could ask them this. But you will stand in and you will answer this question. So my question for you, all of you and you, is if let's just say for the sake of argument, if there was something either a virus or something that comported to that idea of a pathogenic uh, thing that could be spread from person to person. If that existed, would governments have the right to violate your bodily autonomy? I'd say no. Either I would way. say no too. Either way. Anyone who says yes to that is not part of the health freedom movement, right? I think so. Uh, my, uh, to me, it's, it's missing the entire point of the past few years, the entire point of the biosecurity state, which is, hey guys, there's this communicable disease thing, therefore we get to violate your bodily autonomy. It is not an answer to that fundamental problem to say, oh, but that communicable pathogen doesn't exist, therefore, dot, dot, dot. No, you have to attract, attack the base philosophical issue. So the hypothetical question, because I know there are people who will say no virus, no pathogen exists whatsoever. There are many different iterations of this. Some people who don't even believe in bacterial infections Anything. and things. The right. system doesn't exist. And then so. other people will say, no, we're not saying that. We're saying this. It's, it seems like a modern Bailey argument to me. But at any rate, the hypothetical question at base, if it existed, if there are communicable diseases, does that give the government the right to violate your bodily autonomy? I say not only no, I say hell no. Absolutely not. And if you agree with me on that, then we can absolutely talk about the details of how disease works. I tend to feel the same way. If we're on the same page of that, then yes, there are other discussions to be had. Nobody's yeah. saying the no virus question should be censored or whatever, no. but I don't think it's serving the community to have lists of these people are on the... And, and the other thing is, it's sort of it, that us versus them is so black and white that because you, if you don't interview this person or if you don't ask this mm. question, then you must endorse germ theory and everything yes, else. That go, yes, there's yes. no kind of room for right. kind of, maybe there's right. some gray area Because I think I've heard you say this before and I've always felt this. Germ theory and terrain theory are not incompatible. Yeah. They, they go together because yes, if you have a healthy immune system, that will, and how do you get a healthy immune system? By nutrition, by sunlight, by all of the things that terrain theorists will talk about. Absolutely, you have to have a healthy terrain and then whatever pathogens are gonna do whatever they do are not going to affect you in the same way, right? So that's... Yeah. Well, one other question on that. Have you happened to come across the work of Christine Massey, the one she's filed uh, the FOIA request from yeah. different governments around the world? Yeah. I haven't looked at every request. I have a feeling that there could probably be other reasons why they're coming back mm -hmm. saying we don't right. have the, I mean, because if anybody's ever filed open request, yeah. records requests with mm -hmm. government, even if you say the exact things you're looking mm -hmm. for and you do it perfectly clear, sometimes they can come back and say they don't have stuff they do have yeah. and you file it a different way with different words and you might get yeah. it. So I feel like they're, you know, I, I don't know, but what have you come across that idea that there's no governments who are, they're claiming yeah. they have no responsive documents? I, I can't speak to Massey in particular and what she's done, but I do know of the idea of this. Yeah. And all I can say is I put in a FOIA request for the 
government to tell me uh, that it isolated terrain and it, they didn't have anything. Therefore, terrain theory doesn't exist. I, I, I don't know what yeah. to say. No, I, I, yeah, this is not. So are we really going to take as our standard what the government says or doesn't say, or they say they don't have anything on this, therefore it doesn't. I don't and think that's that the right. That backs up my theory now. I don't think that's quite the. This, the bottom line smoking gun that at, at any rate. You know. Okay. All right. Well, um, and let's let's end then with the I think the bigger picture, and you touched on it a moment ago, which is the biosecurity state. And you, as soon as COVID started, you did some great documentaries and podcasts trying to paint that picture for people of where this is really going. And I think it's become more clear. We now have people, again, talking about digital identities and passports and social credit scores when there were really nobody talking about that other than a handful of people five years ago, six years, one of those people. Now we're at a point where people recognize this stuff's on the horizon. People are concerned about AI, concerned about transhumanism, concerned about the next, the, the uh, pandemic treaty and what's sure. going to happen and all that stuff. What would you offer to anybody listening are some next steps they could take to prepare? I mean, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever you want to take it. Yeah, well, again, it would depend on your particular situation and the million variables. But um, something that uh, Tim Kilkenny said when he was interviewing me on Revelations Radio News uh, last year, he said the best way we can fight back, if, they are, if everything they are doing right now is about trying to make you sick, and I think we can all agree on that, um, all of the isolation, quarantining, masking, all of this stuff makes us sicker, obviously, and is obviously not about public health. Well, what they are trying to make us sick in order to the self-fulfilling prophecy of the scandemic, you're going to get sick and then everyone gets sick. Hey, look at that. Um, what we can do to counteract that is to be healthy, to be healthy as much as possible in our own personal. So yes, absolutely. And that was the big kick in the butt for me as I'm sitting there yeah, I'm working crazily on all these documentaries and stuff, trying to get this information out and letting my own body go to well, go to shit. Oh, can I say that? <laughs> so, so yeah, absolutely. Yes, we have to take our, our responsibility for our own health first and foremost, our family. Yeah. And then we can start hopefully spreading that out to others by being, being the change. I know you've yeah. heard it before, but that is such an important part of this. Yeah, just leading by example. And, and I think that that just in your personal anecdote of like oh, missing out on the gym, mm. like you said, that is exactly what they wanted. Yeah. All any potentially good yeah. habits you had, whether that's relationships, friends, just social interaction, sunlight, all yeah. that stuff, out the window. Get a depleted human being, inject them all that fun stuff. Yeah. So maybe the challenge is June 2023. Get James back in the gym challenge. Yeah. And yeah. so the only thing left to do, I think, at this point, is for each of us, as you were saying, James, to take personal responsibility for our lives and to be an example, to lead by example. Yep. I think that's why people might look to you or myself or anyone here is because we're just taking action. You know, yep. we're not sitting around waiting for other people. And so if you listening, feel inspired to do anything, make art, make podcasts, make music, you know, go to the gym, take care of yourself, any of these kinds of things. Don't wait around to do it. This system is not waiting. These people are working every day on their agenda 2030. And I think it's time for us to have our own, what I'm calling Agora 2030 sure. or Liberation yeah. 2030. Let me just uh, put in the plug for what you're doing, because when I think of leading by example, it's hard to think of a better person than Derek Bros, who's doing everything, Freedom Cell, Conscious Agora, for, uh, Conscious Resistance Network, all of these incredible activities that you're a part of that are all based on doing. And that's what I love to see, people getting out there and motivating others to do things in the real world. It's wonderful to talk about them till we're blue in the face. Hey, I'm good at talking about things, that's what I do. But it's people like Derek who are out there doing it, who need your support. So I hope people who are watching this will do so. Thank you, brother. Well, it's been a good conversation, guys. This is Derek Bros with James Corbett. We're in the UK. Until next time, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free if you want to be.
Peace.